So, great to be with you. I, uh, I borrow a chair for an impromptu stool. Great to be with you this evening. I've been absent from this class too much, much more than I normally am because of my vacation, and I've missed being with you and walking you through your training. hope you're enjoying it. Um, Eric and Kyle have worked manfully in my absence, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening. I've, I've heard some, and I hope to hear some more of their instruction. So we are this evening on the subject of church discipline. Before we get there, let me um, repeat. Thank you, Eric, reminded me. And Kyle, re-reminded me, uh, if you feel some sense of call to be an elder or deacon in the church, it's, 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 do please reach out to Kyle or me or Eric and inform us of that so we can move you into the next stage, which involves, of course, the much-fabled and to-be-feared examination um, by the session. Uh, which really isn't too bad. It's, it's, I've heard some men, even Marshall, enjoyed the examination, actually. Um, it is slightly less fearsome than an IRS audit, but only slightly. But it's, it's much better to give it than receive it, I think. But um, we would love you all, seriously, though, all joking aside, if you're feeling God's pulling at your heartstrings, you've been a member for at least a year in our church, we'd love for you to come and to consider leaning in and being examined um, as an office bearer. And of course, you, there needs to be a full commitment with one or two exceptions to the Westminster Confession of Faith and our constitutional documents, but we'll talk to you about that as we move you through the process. Anything to add to that, Eric? Yeah, no, 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 the next, next, there's more that you can talk about next week, but next week's topic is the way forward. So. Yes, next week is the way forward. Thank you. I am, I believe so. The numbers are counting anyway. So we're in the subject of church discipline this evening, and I want to do a number of things, but we'll begin by looking in our Bibles at Matthew 18, which is, uh, of all the passages, one of the great uh, chair passages of church discipline. So turn there with me, please, and we'll read together the Word of God. Before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you, O God, for your Word. We thank you, Father, for its truth. It's such a fitting and well-balanced revelation of your will and your glory. And so much more dependable than Siri. And we pray that you will speak to us this evening, enlightening our hearts and our minds, and guiding us, O God, um, so that we might be kept from the ditches flanking either side of the highway of holiness of the church. We offer these these prayers in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church... Let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Actually, the Greek tense is past perfect, 
Whatever you bind on earth has been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth has been loosed in heaven. And you'll see that in the ESV footnote. And that's actually very important because what, what Jesus is saying there is our judgment on earth is simply reflecting God's prior judgment in heaven. So if we do not discipline people in the church, it's, it's an act of tremendous and enormous uncharity because God has already excommunicated them. And if, they, if we allow them to continue on in the fellowship and function of the church, they have no idea they're living under the sort of democracies and are taking the Lord's Supper and drinking judgment upon themselves. And so with an act of charity, loving them and loving God, it's only right that we actually tell them that they have been excommunicated, right? We're not doing the excommunication. We're just saying, by the Word of God, the apostolic Word and the prophetic Word of the Old Testament, we judge that God has already excommunicated you or found you worthy of rebuke or censure or so forth and so on. We'll be that in a second. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name... There am I among them. Now, that's often used in general, you know, me in my small corner and you in yours, meeting in Starbucks for coffee, and, and God is there. And of course, God is there. God is everywhere in heaven and in hell and in Starbucks. But the context of this particular verse, the four, is as the church gathers for judgment and discipline, uh, that Christ is peculiarly present in her midst, overseeing and ruling the church. And of course, the church remember, has three marks. What are the three marks of the church? Anyone know? Yes, so the proper preaching of the Word of God, the proper administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the proper administration of judgment, of discipline. And it's through those three marks, those three marks find their connection to the person and work of Christ. How? What are Christ's three offices? prophet, priest, and king. So as prophet, that finds its touchdown where? In the preaching of the Word. And as priest, that finds its touchdown where? In the sacraments. And as king, as he rules and defends his church, that finds its touchdown in discipline. And if a church loses any of those three words, you know, if we stop preaching the Bible at Christ's Covenant Church and I start speaking about how to win friends and influence people... um, we are no longer a church. If I, we, stop, we stop administrating the sacraments or add a new sacrament like an Advent candle, then there's a due reason to fear that we are losing a mark of the church. And if we fail to discipline gross sin, that also is a mark that we have ceased to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is one of the reasons why good men, and especially the conservative wing of the Presbyterian Church in America, um, it's hard to believe we speak of a conservative wing, but the conservative wing who actually object to a, fun, to, to a professing homosexual being ordained to the ministry and are aghast that his presbytery is not dealing with that. If his presbytery won't deal with it, they have ceased to be a church. And if the General Assembly won't deal with that presbytery, in a very real sense, the Presbyterian something in America has ceased to be a true church, which is why many of our brothers are honestly and earnestly considering leaving the PCA if they fail to deal with this sin and this violation of the law of God in a uh, timely fashion. There's a really good lecture. If you go to First Presbyterian Church and Jackson's um, 
page in uh, sermonaudio.com, you'll find a um, lecture by Carl Robburn that he gave a number of years ago in Twin Lakes on church discipline. It is masterful. It was given to ministers, but it's well worth your time. It's about an hour long, and it is really, really good. Sort of a lifetime of, of working this out in the courts of the church. Carl Robbins, he's a minister from Woodruff Road Presbyterian Church in um, in Greensboro. No, sorry, Greenville. Thank you. I'm getting my greens confused. So a number of other passages that are apropos. If you turn in Hebrews 12 a second. Discipline is a positive thing in Scripture. Verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the discipline, to the father of spirits, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. That's such an encouragement. We are frail, fallible fathers, and we discipline our sons as seems best to us. At times we mess it up, but the writer of the Hebrews is saying almost it's better to, do, it's better to have discipline that occasionally errs than no discipline. And sometimes fathers are so concerned by getting it wrong, they do nothing. No, think about it, pray about it, and discipline your children as seems best to them, but don't passively neglect it. It's a terrible judgment against your children to let, let them prosper in sin. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So it's an essential part of the family of God. And it's something that God will hold us, as elders especially, accountable to do. If you look in Hebrews 13, the next passage... Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God will judge us for the way we care or do not care for his people. It's a very serious thing. In Corinthians, Paul says, if you destroy the church, the temple of God, God will destroy you, right? It's very sober. And so it's very important to remember that because this is a responsibility. It's part of our shepherding care of the flock for their good to discipline them, to protect them from wandering off. God has given us a flock to care for. We're responsible for them. And if there's a hundred when he gave them to us, he really expects there to be a hundred when he comes to get them. And if we've got 85 and God goes, where are the 15? I don't know. (laughs) It's wandered off somewhere. 
that's not the kind of shepherd you want to be, right? And so um, it's, it's fairly sober. Um, similar positivity in Galatians 6, another key passage. Brothers, verse 1, if anyone is caught in a transgression, in any transgression, so it's big or small, if you're caught and trapped in it, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Um, so that's the spirit that should characterize our discipline. It should be faithful. It should be, if we see somebody entrapped in a regular ongoing sin, we should address it. But we should do it, and it's not just any Tom, Dick, or Harry, those who are spiritual, those who are mature, those who are godly, right? Um, and that should mean the elders, of course. Um, and they should do it in a spirit of gentleness, um, keeping watch on ourselves lest we are tempted. And then First uh, Corinthians 5. Yeah. Yes. You may indeed. No, those who are spiritual should correct such a one, right? Um, but th- that involves, it's, it's very important. Um, um, It takes great wisdom. There are, there are some people in the church who are what I call issue people, and they're always having issue with other people for small things and sometimes big things, and it can lead to a combativeness. And they almost feel as if they become the, the modesty Taliban or the, or the Sabbath Taliban, and they're, and they're going about basically meddling in other people's businesses, and that's a very divisive spirit. So Paul is saying... Those who, are, those, those who are mature uh, and those um, and should be done in a spirit of gentleness, right? Are you trying to reclaim the person? And also the principles of Matthew 18 ought all, always to be involved. And so there's got to be a real offense. Sorry, now I'm getting... Um, I'm in a theater, it'll do, right? Um, there's a personal, public, and specific and general offenses we'll get to in a second, but... Um, there are, there's a, a principle that there's a due process to be involved as we deal with people in their walk with God. Have they sinned against us? Is there sin in a more general sin against the church? Things like that. Okay. Um, so 1 Corinthians 5, here Paul um, demands an immediate excommunication for a man who is guilty of egregious sexual sin. So this is a guy who's just without process. Well, there is a process. It's immediate. Um, he's immediately suspended if you may, and, and expelled from the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant, ought you not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though... Absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, 
so that this spirit may be saved, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So, for example, right, um, if there was an egregious accusation that was made against me and it was a credible accusation, it would not. It would be proper for the set, for the presbytery to immediately suspend me from office until it was uh, ascertained. Because if I was if I was credibly accused of adultery, right, um, how could I get up and keep on preaching? And so there's a there's a place for an immediate suspension, um, even before there's a formal trial. Questions. Oh, no. It's, we'll talk about that in a second, the censors. So um, I'm going to walk through with you now the, re- the, the relevant documents. Uh, I want to commend this to you. This was given to the session by um, Marshall as a kind of a early or late Christmas gift, depending on his... Uh, he was un- imprecise as to whether it was early or late, so we receive it with gra- gratitude. But it's a new book uh, edited by Chan Va- Chad Van Dixorn, who spent... He did his PhD... Um, translating the writing, handwriting of the Westminster Confession minutes into multi-volume sets, which are like $1,000 a volume. I think they're pretty expensive. Um, um, but they're very, very good. And Chad's a scholar of the Westminster Confessions. And he has put this together, which is Creeds and Confessions of, and Catechisms of the Church. And it basically, in one volume, summarizes beautifully the major creeds and confessions of the church, and he gives a beautiful uh, introduction on each of them. And uh, you have everything from, if I can find the uh, the contents, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, the Chalcedonian definition of Christ, the Augsburg Confession, the, the Lutheran Confession, the Belgian Confession, the 39 Articles, which is um, the epist- uh, the um, the the the, the documentary father of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's the creed of the um, Anglican Church. The Canons of Dort and the Heidelberg Catechism. Those are the three forms of unity, the Belgian Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, and the Synod of Dort, which is the, which is the confessional standard of the continental European Reformed Church. Also is the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger Catechism, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, and also the 1689 London Baptist Confession, which is pretty much a recapitulation of the Westminster Confession of Faith, apart from, as you might guess, the chapter on baptism. Um, so it's, it's well worth your time. And I'm going to read to you from chapter 30 in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the relevant chapter on church censures. The Lord Jesus, as king and head of his church, hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. So here the confession is distinguishing the civil magistrate has the power of the sword to kill you and to tax you and to kill you if you, if you won't pay your taxes. And the, 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 the church that has the, the, the sword of the word and the, the disciplinary authority of his kingly reign. Paragraph 1. Paragraph 2, to these officers the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed, by virtue whereof they have power, respectively, to retain and remit sins, to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, both by the word and censures, and to open it unto penitent sinners, by the ministry of the gospel 
and by absolution from censures, as occasion shall require. So, in what sense does Christ give to us the power to retain and remit sins? That sounds very Catholic, doesn't it? Your sins are forgiven you. Very good, Drew. So how do we know what to bind on earth? Yes. So Christ gave the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, and I'm not an apostle, neither is Eric or Kyle, but we do have the words of the apostles and their instruction booklet for using the keys. And so while the keys belong to the apostles, we can use the keys as long as we are safe to um, following the word. And so our authority, how do we describe? There are two words that describe the authority the authority of, the, of ministers in the church and elders. Our authority is what? Declarative, declarative and ministerial. Ministerial and declarative is actually the order, but it means I can only administer and declare the Word of God, right? And so, interestingly, when I was in our last committee meeting, Michael Hunter, who's a genius, did a PhD in Greek and, and Latin, or sorry, a master's in, PhD, in Latin and Greek in Oxford, England, and now he's doing a PhD in Luke's use of the Psalms in Westminster. And he said his, his, his examination was the finest I've ever read. It was, I felt he should have been examining me, and I was examining him. Most of his, well, there's a large chunks of it were written in Latin. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> it was amazing. Um, from memory, it's closed book exam. And his proof text went on forever. <laughs> no, it, I, I did Latin for four years in high school. It was true Latin. It was very good. Uh, but uh, it was impressive. But there was one mistake in his, in, in, his, in his examination, and that was we talked about the person who's been excommunicated. Um, what do you do when you bring in the, the supper round, right? Um, or they've been suspended. Um, or they're an atheist, and they reach, reach for the supper. What do you do? He said, I wouldn't offer it to them. And what would you do if they tried to offer it? I'd have the security team remove them from the church. And we're going, okay. So that's going to be... To put it mildly, disruptive to the order of worship, all things should be done decently and in order, right? But also, you're acting like the civil magistrate. We don't have the authority to physically, well, we don't have the authority to physically prevent people from coming to the sacrament, right? Um, And so, we fence the table with the word, and the scripture says, let a man examine himself. And if he examines himself or doesn't bother examining himself and comes to the table, then he is choosing to eat and drink judgment upon himself, right? And then maybe somebody's been privately suspended from the table, and we know that, right? If I, if I say it was Drew, no offense, Drew, and I just walk past you, someone's going to ask me, why didn't you give it to Drew? Or someone's maybe even get up and go, you forgot about Drew, and then I'm so, oh, no, what do I do? And then I'm going to say, I can't, he's been suspended. And that's really bad. And so... <laughs> So you basically walk it past people and you just hope that then their good conscience will examine themselves, which is why it's so important that we fence the table. Um, that doesn't mean if someone's been a disorder to the church, just like any landlord can, you, you can have the police remove somebody and you could even ask the security team not to allow them to come into the church building because they'd be disruptive maybe repeatedly. And, 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 and if they forced their way in, you would call the police and have them remove them, right? That's a different, that's, 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 not, that's not, yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's not your discipline. Paragraph three. Church censors are necessary 
for reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren. That's the first thing. The, 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 the means God uses. And I've had people before tell me, you know, don't discipline my husband because he'd, he'd leave the church, never come back, or he'd leave me, whatever, you know. And, and I, I tell the person, listen, if, you, if, you, if you're protecting your husband or your wife or your children from the discipline of the church, you're actually protecting them from the grace of God, which is a terrible thing to do. But also for deterring others from the like offenses, just like in New York, if the, if the, when, the, when the courts fail to imprison men for punching 74-year-old 74, women in the face for no reason whatsoever, um, and they do nothing about it, you can expect that to embolden criminals. Well, the same logic happens in the church. If you don't deal with sin, and Tom is sleeping with um, every Dick or Sally, and you don't do anything about it, that's going to spread and begin to slowly insinuate its way through the church. And so discipline is necessary for deterring others from like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel. Remember Eliezer who stabbed um, the, the, the man fornicating with a Midian harlot and he pierced him through and ceased the, the, stopped the wrath of God uh, amidst the camp. He vindicated the honor of God and the holy profession of the gospel, and for preventing the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church, if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious obstinate offenders. So I've been a pastor of churches before, for example, where maybe there was a highly functioning alcoholic, shall we say, who was kind of there, and he was never drunk on Sunday morning, but maybe he was part of the greeting team. And... You know, over the course of time, kind of everybody in the city I ministered in kind of knew this guy was an alcoholic. And then we all knew he was an alcoholic. And it's like, <laughs> and if you, don't, if you don't discipline him and he's there greeting everybody at church, people come in and go, I saw this guy staggering drunk at the pub on Sunday. Well, what am I going to do about, what's this church practicing? And it, it, it really is a, it's a huge offense to the church of God if we don't deal with it, right? The witness of the church. Paragraph 4, for the better attaining of these ends, the officers of the church are to, be, are to proceed by admonition, suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season, and by excommunication from the church according to the nature of the crime and the merit of the person. So that's the broad chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, having, just having that it's helpful. You can see there there's a broad summary of um, biblical teaching. But it's not really a how-to manual. Like, how does that actually filter into practice? And, and the Bible, in Matthew 18 and elsewhere, gives you broad pointers. But how does it work out? Because you want to make sure that everybody gets due process, right? Because um, due process matters. Um, you are innocent until proven guilty, unless you're charged by the IRS, and then you are guilty until you prove yourself innocent um, for reasons I don't quite understand. But nonetheless, but it's important that there's due process in the state, and they just can't lock you up for no reason. And it's also that there's due process in the church. And so if you, if you remember in paragraph one of 
our uh, paragraph 6, I think it is, of chapter 1 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's a beautiful little section, which I love um, and quote often, but I'll read it to you here so I can get it word perfect. Um, Yes, paragraph 6. So the, the Word of God basically contains all things necessary for salvation and worship, right? But there are some circumstances, I'm in the middle of paragraph 6, there are some circumstances, and remember the language in our regulative principle, elements, forms, and circumstances, elements being what you actually do, the things you do, read the Word, pray the Word, sing the Word, and so forth. The form those elements take, like do I read the prayer or pray extemporaneously, and so forth and so on, the form those elements take, what kind of songs do we sing, the form, and then the circumstances are the, are the outer is the outer circle, um, and that's kind of what kind of musical accompaniment goes with the song, what kind of tune do you use, do you sing inside, outside, do you have lights on, do you have air conditioning, do you have um, uh, functioning um, audiovisual equipment, and so forth and so on. Um, there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence and according to the general rules of the Word, which are always to be observed. That's wonderful, because sometimes people object to the regular principle of worship by saying, well, God doesn't command piano or drum kit. What do you use? And the confession of faith would say, yes, but God doesn't need not command you not to be stupid, right? Light of nature. Having someone banging cymbals through the hymn constantly is offensive, gives you a headache. God shouldn't need to, to con- command you not to do that, right? Singing, you know, your hymn's going up to a high G, which is a tenor register. Most people can't sing that. Most people get squeaky when you go above a D, right? And so God shouldn't have to tell you what range to put your hymns in, right? Not everybody's a tenor. Like Mr. David can't hit a high C, so they got to sing an octave below that. And so that's common sense, light of nature, Christian prudence. How long should your service be? Well, God doesn't tell you. But people have got bladders, and old people have got prostates, and it can be difficult to hold on for a long time. And so you need to keep it, you need to keep it somewhat limited, right? And the general rules of the Word, right? And these things are about the worship of God and the government, and by inference, the, death, the discipline of the church. There are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies. So in a meeting, like a presbytery or a session, everyone just doesn't speak at once. Why? Well, because people don't do that, right? There's a, there are rules, like Robert's Rules of Order, that over generations have been developed and edited that kind of govern how assemblies like parliaments and church sessions and village committees doing a fete or something at the local park there's a way that human beings have figured out how to run meetings that kind of are properly done. And our confessional fathers are saying, God need not include such rules in the Bible. I'll leave you to figure that out by yourselves as long as you don't violate Scripture. And so, over the course of centuries, way back to the Church of Scotland, and probably even before that, um, the Church began to develop a method for discipline. If you look at the, if you look at the, the, the book of church order in the PCA church, 
or um, which contains the whole thing. It, 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 does, it, it contains what we call the form of government, the rules of discipline, and the, the general the directory of worship. That's all in the PCA's BCO. And you compare that to the ARP's FOG and ROD and directory of worship, you'll find that the lingo is very similar. They obviously have a common ancestor that goes back in history. Now, the PCA is a bigger denomination, and it's been involved in much more lit- litigation ecclesiastically than the ARP. And so if you read that the PCA's BCO is already much thicker than, the, than ours, and that's because the PCA has been through a lot of litigation and lawyers have tightened up language and expanded language because there's been much more fighting in the PCA than there has been in the ARP, surprisingly, over the past, what, you know, um, 250-odd years or so. So let's, let's take a quick look at the rules of discipline. Let's see where we're at. Okay. Um, now, I, I, the, the Book of Discipline, the BOD. The rod sounds much. Should be the rule, rule of discipline. Rod is much better than bod, but nonetheless, um, we're worth it. Okay. So hopefully you've read this. If you haven't read this, I commend it to you because it, it, it contains a beautiful summary of ecclesiastical due process, and you'll see a lot of this find its legal roots in common law and the way our court systems work. Because um, at least in the past, they were run by people of wisdom and stature. Let's take a quick look. So start off with the theology of your discipline. It roots everything back in the nature of God. The basis of all, if you haven't got that, just listen. But if you do, turn to page 251 of, the, uh, of our standards. The basis of all church discipline is the free love of God in Christ expressed in both mercy and judgment. Like this evening's sermon, God is not being mean when he warns of judgment. It's a loving thing to do. You haven't, yeah, it should, should be there. Yeah, on your phone. The purpose of discipline is to bring about the reconciliation of man to God and man to man and to engage the people of God in the ministry of reconciliation and to promote the peace, purity, and edification of the church. Christian discipline is discipleship. That's a glorious line. It's a beautiful phrase. Christian discipline is discipleship. And so that's one of the reasons why we say, just like the first rule of discipline is, or the first lesson of discipleship is the pulpit, the first step of discipline is also the pulpit. As we attend the preaching of the Word of God, Christ is disciplining us with His rod and His staff, comforting us as we hear the Word of God come. And so the first step we take... um, away from the peace of Christ toward his discipline, is to ignore or reject the preached word of God. <coughs> Paragraph two is, we shouldn't be abusive, we shouldn't be mean-spirited and foolish in the way we carry out discipline. Obvious. Paragraph three In this context of discipline, the church, under the authority of the Lord, disciplines, guides, instructs, and controls its members and courts to enable them to serve God more effectively. And the passage goes on to say, basically, the reason we need discipline is because we are a bunch of sinners. 
And also, if all we hear is mercy, it can become a soft and a cruel mercy. How can mercy become cruel? If you say peace, peace, when there is no peace, which is the very definition of a false prophet. So much of that repeats the language of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, the language you'll notice as you read this, this chapter, that the, um, it speaks of the language of a church court. And there are three church courts. What are they? And the Synod, right. And the, a Synod is a group of presbyteries, right? And technically, you'd have a session, a presbytery, and then a synod, and then a general assembly, right? And because of our Scottish roots and because we're our, we, the ARP, I think, called itself a synod, because the, technically the general assembly would be the church in Scotland, the associate church in Scotland, and the associate reformed church in America gathering together like a worldwide basis. But just like the World Series which is only from California to Florida, only American teams play in it, the PCA has a general assembly because they think they're the whole world. I'm just joking. But, uh, but there are the three courts, which is important to realize that the session is a court, right? And so when you're cited, subpoenaed to come to the court, it's a serious thing, right? It's a really serious thing. You just can't go, I'm not going to go. Or as one man said, I'm not interested in having that conversation. And uh, Kyle actually said to this man, well, you told us before the congregation some months ago that you were interested in having this conversation when you swore to submit yourself to the authority of the church court, right? Um, which was interesting and funny, kind of, it was amusing, but it was, a, it was a witty response, but an apt response, answering a fool according to his folly. Right, so chapter 1, repeat everything I've already said. Chapter 2, offenses and censors. An offense, what is an offense? Right? Uh, can I discipline somebody or censor somebody because they, a, a woman doesn't wear trousers? Or sorry, does wear trousers. Because they don't go to bed at 10 o'clock in the evening. Or because um, they went shopping on Sunday. You've got to be careful because the, our confession and our, our book of order defines an offense. An offense is anything in the principle or practice of a church member or court, courts themselves are under authority, which is contrary to the Holy Scriptures, the constitution of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, and the Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms. So it's got to be a real sin, a real violation of the Word of God or the subordinate standard that explain the Word of God. So, for example, if the session were to violate um, um, let's say we excommunicated somebody immediately um, or didn't give them, there's a two-week process between being found guilty and actually the session must pronounce censor within two weeks. If we leave it on like six weeks and just don't pronounce censure, 
somebody could take a charge against our session for violating our subordinate standards, the, the, the book of discipline. And so, a, a sin can be a, a direct contradiction of the Word of God or our subordinate standards because we have sworn to uphold them and because we believe those standards are an expression of what Christ meant when He wants His church to be ruled decently and in order. There's got to be a real sin. Now, the, 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 the bod outlines what offenses are, and there are two types. They're either personal or general. What's the difference between a personal offense and general offense? Very good. So Sally refuses to forgive um, Jean, and Jean, uh, Sally has a, and Jean has a personal offense with Sally, right? Someone um, is uh, finds um, maybe a DUI, drunk in charge of a vehicle, and they've not killed anybody or hurt anybody, but there's a general offense against the law that they need to answer for. Right? And then also, an offense can be personal or general, and it can also be public or private. And that's fairly obvious. A private offense is that between you and me, and nobody knows about you and me. And a public offense is something that everybody knows about. So, um, for example, falling pregnant outside marriage quickly becomes a public offense because one has an expanding abdomen that cannot be explained by eating too much food. And private offences can also be known by a few people, not just one or two, right? That's an offence. And church censures. There are, there are five ascending levels of censure. Uh, what is the first level of censure? Anyone remember? Admonition. What's the second level of a censure? Rebuke. What is the difference? An admonition is a kindly reproving of an offender. And it's always done in private. It's a kindly reproving. It's, it's, it's um, the church court maybe speaking to a husband and saying, you know, we, we've seen you on numerous occasions um, speak in a harsh way to your wife or your children. And it's not seemly. And we want to encourage you to stop doing that. You're going to provoke your children to anger. It's a kindly, fatherly admonition. A rebuke is turning up the volume. It's a firmer, I've told you once before, um, you know, rebuke a factious person, uh, reject a factious person, Paul says, after the first or second warning, after the second warning, right? Um, That's right, second or three, second warning, second warning. Um, so that's a much more serious, now that's probably speaking of actually excommunication, but it's a, but, but it's a much more firm uh, admonition. And it can be private, but also it, it can be public as well. We can announce that we have admonished somebody for their sin. So let's say someone came to a church meeting and they were staggeringly drunk at a church meeting and everyone knew it and saw it, and we admonished them and uh, because it was a public sin, we admonished them. It would be proper for that admonishment to be announced from the pulpit because people would be wondering, you know, Sally Ann came st- staggering junk to this meeting. What are we going to do about that? 
right? And so it'd be proper to make that a public. The session is aware of that. It happened last week, and they've repented, and they're sorry, and they've asked, they, they, they crave your forgiveness, but, uh, and they may even do that before the congregation, but we want you to know we've admonished them. Okay, it's, it's announced. What's the next level? Suspension. Now, you can be suspended from two things. What are they? The Lord's Supper, or what else? Your office, right? So, um, the suspension from office, um, or the Lord's Supper, can be definite or indefinite. What's the difference? Yes. So a definite, yes. Yeah, so a de- so so even after repentance, right? If if you commit a gross sin and you're repentant, you can in the in the ARP you can be suspended from the Lord's Supper for three months. So a friend of mine back in Northern Ireland, uh, who was a, a candidate for ministry. Long story. Um, He's actually my best friend, was to be my best man at my wedding, but his wife-to-be, who was Catherine's best friend, left him at the altar, broke his heart, he was lonely, and the church, in its stupidity, allowed him to room and recommended he roomed with a married couple with no children in the church, and everybody knew their marriage was on the rocks, and he, he was there for three months, and lo and behold, the wife becomes pregnant by him in a moment of passion, and uh, he repented, but the search session, because it was a public sin of a candidate for ministry, they suspended him from the Lord's table for a period of time, maybe six months. I forget what it was, right? Now, in the PCA, that can't happen unless you're an officer. Officers can be suspended from the table for a period of time, but it's unlawful to do that to a mere church member. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Presbyterian novelty. The, the, the historical trend is even members can be suspended. If it's a very serious sin, even if they are repented, repentant, can be suspended for a definite period of time um, as a witness to them and to the church that this is a serious sin, right? And so that's one difference between the PCA and the ARP. The ARP follows the more Presbyterian line of history, that you can be suspended for a definite period of time as a member for a serious sin. Um, and that can be applied by the judgment of the session. And likewise, you can be suspended from office for a period of time. So, um, let's say a pastor and his wife were having real marital difficulties. He may be suspended for a period of time from a, as a pastor or a ruling elder or a deacon. Um, um, not just to give him space and time to heal, but as a, if, he, if he was judged to be guilty of some particular flagrant abuse or sin. It would also be indefinite. And, and when, why would you make somebody, why would you lambast somebody, that's a bad term, why would you inflict an indefinite suspension upon somebody? Exactly. If they've not repented. So you're not going to excommunicate them yet, but you say from henceforth until you repent, you're indefinitely suspended from the, from, as an elder or, a, or the supper. And if you suspend a man from office, he is automatically, if it's indefinite, he's automatically suspended from this table also. Is that the, is that the case 
say sufficient is the punishment. Yes. You know, and they say he's, he's repented. They bring him back in. Beautiful text. Beautiful text. So admonition, rebuke, suspension. Level four is what? <coughs> Deposition. Right? Deposition is you're deposing somebody from their office. Um, depriving an officer of the church of his office. And the final censure is, of course, excommunication or expulsion, um, which is a fearful censure. And once somebody is expelled, the church no longer has jurisdiction of them. It's like putting them into an airlock and flushing them out into outer space. You no longer have, you can't get your hand on them anymore. You can't, you have no right to continue discipline. They have to come back in repentance. Um, now, if you fast forward, you, you can see in, in page, if you fast forward to chapter 7, I think it is, you can see the application of censures, which talks more about some of the things. And the basic rule is the church should try and keep things private as best as, it, as they can unless... There is a public need for edification for the offense to be made public. And one of the reasons for that would be, of course, excommunication. You've got to know this person no longer a member of the church. If a minister or elders are deposed from office or suspended from office, people need to know that. You can't just do it in the QT. Or if it's a gross public sin that is known far and wide, it's got to be a public response so that um, people can know. Or if someone's excommunicated from the church, we need to know they've been excommunicated so you can treat them as a tax collector or a Pharisee. Publican, tax collector. Okay. So chapter 3 of the of our Book of Discipline um, speaks about jurisdiction. Now this is interesting. This is some, some, this is some interesting points of Presbyterian polity. So think about jurisdiction, right? Um, so the, the court of original jurisdiction... For a church member is who? What? It's what? The session. The court of original jurisdiction for the deacons is what? The session. The court of original jurisdiction for the elders is what? No. No. The session. Someone say session? It's the session. The elders are members of the congregation, and their court of jurisdiction is an elder. So God forbid if one of our elders or an elder fell foul of Christ, he would initially be judged and, and tried at the level of the session. The court of original jurisdiction for the minister is what? The presbytery. We're ordained. Technically speaking, I am not a member of this church. I'm a member of presbytery. And so if I sin, it's the presbytery deals with me, <clears throat> which, thanks to the genius of, of Eric and, and Daryl Andrews, whenever the session of this church some many years ago took leave of their senses and tried to fire the former pastor, um, Bill Marsh, for we don't want to tell you what the issue is, but we think we sh- you should no longer have him as your pastor. Um, Eric, he thought you stood up at the congregation meeting and said, guys, you can't do this. You, you, you can't just fire the pastor. And the congregation, in its wisdom, backed Eric and Daryl and this, the, the majority of the session then went to Presbytery and said, we still want to fire the pastor. And Eric said, the, the congregation don't want to do that. And the, the Presbytery actually rebuked the majority of the session and told them to repent and the assistant minister. 
and they all eventually, eventually left the church eventually over it, and it was a bit of a disaster. But it was a beautiful picture of church discipline carried out properly. The session cannot fire me. Having said that, if the session and the congregation no longer want me to be their minister, there's no way in God's green earth the preachers are going to say, well, we're going to leave Neil as the pastor unless you've all become a bunch of apostates. And then there's whole other problem. But the, the, the presbytery will never force a minister upon a congregation uh, except for egregious reasons of congregational sin and madness. Does that make sense? Right. Now, so you get the court of original jurisdiction. Now, if a member is judged unfairly by the session, what, what, where, where can they go? Presbytery. Right? Um, it's a beautiful thing. You've got someone to appeal to. Uh, uh, so many times in my ministry, I've heard people, maybe a wife uh, locked in an abusive marriage at a Baptist church. And um, after she left that church and came to our church, um, so many, it's happened so many times, they said, I, I couldn't go to the pastor. The pastor was my husband's best friend. And there was no way, he was the biggest tither in the church. There was no way they were going to discipline my husband. So I couldn't go to him. I had nowhere else to go. And when I tried to bring it up, they excommunicated me. And so she comes to our church, and we, we, we heard the case and did the best we could and realized that she was the, the innocent party, and we received her as a member, and essentially lifted the unjust excommunication. But in a Presbyterian church, you've got somewhere to go. You can go to the presbytery. And if they won't hear your case, where can you go? Synod. And so you've always got somewhere to go. Now, if the synod is rotten and your presbytery is rotten, then you're in trouble, right? And you've got to go somewhere else and appeal there. Um, but that's... Important. Now, if you look um, at chapter 4 and 5, I'm not going to go through that with you now in, in, in great detail. But there's, there's a beautiful outline of due process that, make, that helps the church ensure that a proper, authoritative process of judicial discipline is followed for everyone, by everyone. So it protects the rich from being, being dealt with leniently, or the poor being dealt with harshly. There's, there's one rule of discipline for all people. And it's, it's, it's remarkably legal. So let's say, for example, um, and I want to just do this quickly because I, I, I'm tired. I'm sure you are too, 8 o'clock. Um, so Sally and Anne are locked in sin, and um, Sally accuses Anne of being a female feline, in the midst of the argument, and Anne gets her feelings hurt, um, rightly, and Anne says to Sally, you called me that awful name, and that hurt my feelings, um, and, um, and Anne says, you know you're right, I, I was wrong, please forgive me. And Sally says, no, I won't forgive you. And Anne goes, <laughs> okay, so what does Anne do next? What's Matthew 18 say? Get another person. 
bring somebody else with you to speak to um, the other person. Uh, Sally. Uh, yeah. So Anne goes to Sally with a friend and confronts them. Now that friend could be the pastor, it could be an elder, um, but it's a, a trustworthy, wise person who's not going to be a gossip, and they go and speak to Anne. I'm getting my interviews. Anyway, and they confront her. Anne still says, no, I refuse to repent. What happens next? Yes. So you come with a private offense. So you come to the session, and you bring the, the session involved. Now, at that stage, the session doesn't immediately excommunicate or discipline or censure or admonish. They, they would probably admonish Anne to forgive Sally, Right? Um, but it would be a pastoral conversation. Maybe I would go where Kyle would go, and we would talk, and we would chat. And then if, if Anne dug her heels in and became resistant, it would gradually escalate up the ecclesiastical process. But in a, in a fashion that's prudent, we aren't like quick on the draw, right? Um, what's that? Here, here lies Ned. He was quick on the, slow on the trigger, but quick on the draw. We buried him raw. It's on tombstone. Someone's in the, in the town. He was buried, right? <laughs> Uh, we're not like that. We're not quick in the, quick in the draw or, or quick in the trigger. It's a measured. And sometimes if we have a fault, we sometimes take too long. But it, 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 I think it's better to take too long than to be rash and hurried. And so we, we, we slowly engage in counseling and pastoring. But eventually, if Anne um, refuses to repent, what happens next? Not yet. She is cited to appear before the session. And you can read about the, the process for that. Um, you write her a formal letter, and you call her to come to the session meeting at this time. Or you might say to her, we want you to come sometime in the month of September and to, to, to meet with the session. Tell us when you can come and meet with us. You can, there's different ways. But you cite them to come and to come. And if they don't come, what happens? You send a second letter by registered mail, or you can give it to them in person. And if they, if they don't come again, then in one thing, it doesn't matter whether they're guilty of the sin they were charged with. They become th- guilty of a new sin, which is contumacy, which means they're being rebellious. And in my experience, the vast majority of trials at a sessional level of a member tend to end in that regard. Someone... You call them, they don't come, you call them again, they refuse to come, and they end up getting excommunicated. Or they withdraw their, they realize where this is going and they withdraw their letter, right? Now, there are hypertight people who will say, there only are three ways to leave a church. You can die, you can transfer your letter, or you can be excommunicated. And what they will do then is they will engage in a formal church trial, and when you do that, what tends to happen is that person will take legal action against the church, and you better believe that the state is ready and willing, uh, licking its chops to come and divest the church of hundreds of thousands of dollars in sl- fines against slander and so forth and so on. And so our practice here is, if somebody in the middle of discipline removes their letter, what we say to them is, you've essentially self-excommunicated yourself. And you need to realize that's very serious. If you, if you take the Lord's Supper here or any other church, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. And you can have no assurance that you're a Christian. It's very, very serious. 
Yes, as yes, but that's a technical term. Having your letter somewhere is basically saying you're a member of the church. And in the old world, and in this world where we live, we live in the old world, when you ch- change your membership, you transfer your letter of membership, and we say so-and-so is a member of good standing, or so-and-so is a lying, no-good, two-faced pagan, and you shouldn't take him into membership, right? And uh, you're either in good standing or not good standing. Yes, it's a voluntary, that's exactly right. And the PCA made that, I think it was wise, that they said when someone withdraws their letter, uh, it's a voluntary association. You can't force someone to be a member of the church. If they withdraw their letter, let them go, but tell them what they're doing. Because you'll bring great dishonor, and, and we've received in the past letters from solicitors warning of legal action if we pursue discipline or make any public announcement to slander their client and so forth and so on. And... Um, we felt and believe for um, um, the peace and purity of the church, let them go. Now, the only time I'll ever quote Harry Emerson Fosdyke is he said, consistency is the hobgoblin of tiny minds. And there are some people who have got to be consistent. No, we've got to discipline them. And they're thinking, no, stop. <laughs> there's, that's just, there's a madness and everything's black and white and you've got to do it. And, 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 and that tends to bring great ruination. And I thank God for the wisdom of men who realize that there is black and there's white and there's also a wise judicial restraint in areas that are not so clear. So... A case without process, essentially, yes. Exactly, thank you. So without going into too much more detail, let's say, for example, um, at, at the risk of being humorous, this is a true story. There was an African doctor in Northern Ireland he was taken up on charges um, for sucking the breast of one of his patients, obstetrician and gynecologist, and he sucked the breast of one of his patients who had just had a baby. But there was, a, there, was a, there was an explanation, right? In his culture, physicians did that to test the quality of milk that the pregnant lady was producing, Right? So let's say that happened, right? And there were charges brought against this church member. And it's, it's pretty egregious, right? Sexual assault and so forth and so on. And the sessions cite him to come to the... To the get, let's say it gets to the point where he's cited to come to the session. He comes to the session. And what happens? Well, essentially, if he says, I am not guilty... Because at that point, you can come to the session meeting and say, I am guilty or I am not guilty. If he says, I am not guilty, well, clearly he has some splinning to do. Right? And so at that point, what happens is the session um, appoints a prosecutor. In some communions, that is de facto the pastor. I think that's not always wise because, you, um, and I, I thank God for the session here, I'm often the guy who will knock on the door, but when I come kicking the door down, I step to the side and one of my elders puts their size 10 foot on the door, breaks it in, goes in, and they're kind of the bad cop. And then afterwards, I come in as the pastor and kind of 
shepherd, the soul of the person, because if I'm the one breaking the door down and being the big, bad, mean prosecutor, it can become very difficult for that person to ever hear the word of God from me again, right? And so there's, there's, I love my session really try to protect me from being the bad cop too often so that my function as a preacher isn't compromised, right? So you appoint a prosecutor. Ordinarily, that prosecutor is a member of the court. Um, let's say it was Eric. Eric would be the prosecutor. And that prosecutor is responsible for drawing up charges. The accused, um, when he comes before the court, has the right of representation. That, repre- that representative, like an attorney, doesn't have to be an attorney, but it must be a member of the church, the body, either the, either the congregation or if it was a minister, I could have a member of Presbytery be my representative to kind of defend me and call witnesses. And then there's a calling of witnesses for, for the prosecution and a calling of witnesses for the defense, and it all comes together. And the confession of faith or the, the, the rule of discipline, the book of, dis- book of discipline, outlines the procedure for that in glorious, beautiful detail. But it's a real court with real authority. And just like the civil magistrate has got the sword of, the, of, the, of, of death, we do have the sword of the Spirit, and our, um, our authority is real. I remember once in a previous church, we had this green beret who was being abusive to his wife, and we called, he was a member of the church, and he was too, and we called him into the succession, and he was a big guy and scary, and it was nerve-wracking. And he was there, and we were talking to him, and it was a disciplinary court. And he said, this is over, I'm leaving. And he got up and left, and I thought, oh no, what do I say now? And then I said to him, in my best gunnery sergeant voice, Sir, this is a court of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are not permitted to go. Come back here and sit down. It's not over until we say it's over. I'm thinking, what's he going to do next? And one of the options was, <laughs> throw me out of the window. <laughs> it was a second floor office. I'm thinking, I hope that's not what happens. And to my shock, he turns around and came back meekly like a lamb and sat down in the chair. And I'm going, but it, was a, but it was a real evidence, though, of the power that the Christ was in that meeting. When two or three are present in my name, Christ is there in the midst. And it was a beautiful illustration, and we, we disciplined him. And um, he actually didn't repent. He actually ended up getting ex- excommunicated. But um, it was a beautiful picture of the authority of Christ when little small Neil called this huge guy to come back. And it was, it was, I really believe it was the authority of Christ in that moment, called him back. And so it's really, it's important to realize that when, and this will end here, when the church excommunicates somebody, right? And people often say, who are you? (laughs) We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we loose you from our membership, we're just reflecting what Christ has already done. And when someone's excommunicated, they have literally no spiritual basis to ever believe they are saved until they come back to that church and have that censor removed. It's a very, very serious thing. Now, I'm not saying they lose their salvation, but they can't die in peace and be confident they're going to go to heaven until they repent and are regathered into the church. Now, if they die in a motorcycle accident and they're lying in the, in the ditch and they say, Lord, have mercy, of course they'll be saved. I'm not denying that. But there's something real and powerful and authoritative. But sadly, when most people get to that stage of the Christian walk, 
they're too proud to hear rebuke and they walk off even before a disciplinary proceeding um, begins or proceeds. Questions? But as I tell our new members, discipline is actually a privilege of church membership. It's not a scary thing. It's a wonderful thing. This church, our presbytery, will not let me go to hell without a fight. If I head off the left field and deny the Lord and walk off, God forbid, and God restrain me, there'll be men, I believe, who love my soul enough to come back to me. And likewise, everyone in this room, men, if you go crazy and deny the Lord and run off left field away from Christ, we will come after you and do all that we can to reclaim your soul. It's a great privilege and a responsibility that the Lord takes very seriously indeed. Questions? Yeah, the trials tend to happen at a presbytery level where maybe a minister is accused of heresy or something, and then there's generally, or maybe he's being accused of being an abuse of power, right? And um, uh, he can, he can uh, um, he could be called before presbytery to give an account, and he would give an account. But the, and that's one of the things the confession goes there. That our documents go in. You can, every every charge must be spelled out, time and place and so forth, and the specific charge, the specific crime, what laws you broke, what, which one of God's laws did you break, and you don't put them together as an omnibus. You spell each one out in detail, so they can be. It's not like our Congress that that that, that bring in a good bill and then pile a bit of pork in at the back end. And you pass the good bill and didn't realize that on page 5,463 there was this horrible bit about gun control. And nobody knew because they didn't read it. You can't do that. It's got to be spelled out in detail so you can vote in each, you can be tried on each charge, which is a wonderful thing and a beautiful thing. The prosecutor. Um, so, speaking about the errant obstetrician, the, he could defend himself and say this is a cultural thing back in Africa, 
And the church would say to him, this is most definitely not a cultural thing here, and if you don't stop that, you will be struck off by your medical license, which might already happen anyway, and you will be excommunicated from this church. Um, and so, uh, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. Or don't. Or, or don't, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you. Um, Sonny, would you uh, close in prayer for us, brother, please? Yes. Amen and amen.